I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. everybody this month i'm asking for your support on patreon so if you haven't had a chance yet um to listen to my first episode of the year go ahead and take a listen to that and i explain a little bit more about why i am so passionate about patreon and one of the experiences that i had this past december with some of my patrons where we had a one-hour zoom call we were able to chat about everything and anything they wanted to talk to me about. And it was an amazing experience, I think for them, but certainly for me as well. So please head on over to Patreon and help support the show. You can give any amount, five, 10, $20. You can give less than that, but any little bit helps in supporting life, death, and the space between. Also make sure you're following me on Instagram at Dr. Amy Robbins. And if you are interested in receiving my newsletter, which has biweekly soul wisdoms, please head on over to dramyrobbins.com and subscribe to my newsletter. Lastly, I'm still taking ghost stories for this year. So if you have a ghost story to share, please send that to team at dramyrobbins.com and I will be excited to share it on my show. Today is part two of my two-part podcast with Mark Epstein, Dr. Mark Epstein, who is a psychologist and Buddhist teacher. I can promise you, you will continue to be enlightened by this conversation. It was amazing. And there are some really juicy tidbits at the end that you can take with you and and use today to apply in your life. So uh, go ahead and enjoy the rest of my podcast with Dr. Mark Epstein. And you talk about... um, the division between real life and meditation is artificial. Mm -hmm. Can you, can you talk about what you mean by that? Um, Well, the division between uh, meditation and real life is artificial. Uh, um, (laughs) uh, An old friend of mine, uh, who's a psychologist in Boston named Jack Angler. He had um, some of the same teachers, uh, Buddhist teachers that I've, that I've had. And he tells a great story about, traveling all the way to India, to the village in northern India, Bodh Gaya, where the Buddha was enlightened, where a Bengali teacher, uh, whose name was uh, Manindra, who was Joseph Goldstein, if you, if you know who Joseph Goldstein is, he's one of the premier Vipassana teachers, insight meditation teachers in America. Um, 
uh, Joseph's teacher was this man, Manindra, uh, who what, had like an encyclopedic knowledge of Buddhist psychology and was a great meditation teacher. So Jack Engler, uh, my friend, got a Fulbright grant, you know, went, went uh, uh, all the way to Bodh Gaya, got there, went to Manindra's little cottage, sat down, said, uh, uh, Manindra, I'm ready to learn to meditate. And Manindra wouldn't teach him. He just took him to the marketplace. Uh, he asked him how his bowels were now that he had come to India. <laughs> he showed him what to buy in the market, this uh, a fleecy seed that if you mixed it with water, it was good for um, uh, uh, diarrhea. If you mixed it with water, it was good for constipation. If you mixed it with milk, it was good for diarrhea. Uh, he did this for like two weeks. He wouldn't teach Jack to meditate. Finally, Jack said to him, uh, you know, got frustrated. Uh, a little angry, maybe. And he's like, Manindra, when are you going to teach me to meditate? And Manindra said, oh, you, you want to learn the Dharma? You, you know, the, the Dharma is like the short shorthand for the Buddha's psychology. He said, the Dharma means living the life fully. The mm. Dharma means living the life fully. So that was like, you, you know, big lesson that Jack didn't quite understand at the moment, but wrote down and brought back and, and you know, has written about and talked about. But so, so what is he saying? What's Manindra saying, you know, that we, we set meditation up as like this thing that's apart from life, you know, that's going to, uh, you know, hypothetically enlighten us or awaken us to what end? What's the, why are we doing all of this? You know, um, why are we, why do we even feel the need? Because we're not living our lives fully. You know, mm -hmm. how are we not living our lives fully? That's the question for therapy. Mm -hmm. That's, I think why people come to therapy, because they have that sense of some, you know, they're living a, uh, a superficial aspect, uh, you know, of their of their own lives. Mm -hmm. So how can we help deepen or open people to themselves? Can you speak a little bit to the, the three um, components of an insight meditation and, and what they help us, how they help us? Yeah, sure. Well, um, we we talked about TM already mm -hmm. uh, and the relaxation response. So though those meditations uh, are classically called uh, concentration practices or one-pointedness practices, where, uh, as we said before, when the mind wanders, you notice that it's wandering and you bring it back to the central the mantra or the sensation of the breath, etc. Um, and that those concentration practices are very useful, very important to kind of steady the mind, uh, to quiet it enough so that the observing mind, which is really what we're cultivating in meditation, because as human beings, we have this strange capacity, you know, we're both the thinker, but we're able to notice the thoughts, you, you know, we have a kind of reflective double capacity, you know, to be both subject and object to ourselves. Mm -hmm. So um, in psychoanalysis, they talk about that as a, creating a therapeutic split in the ego, you, you yeah. know, so you, you have your dreams, but you can look at your dreams, you have your emotions, but you can feel your emotions. So uh, insight meditation is, is uh, making use of that quality. So uh, the concentration practices are a kind of beginning thing. Um, but then you want to turn your attention on the entire range of your experience. 
So the distractions, instead of being distractions, become objects of meditation. So a thought arises, and instead of, oh, I'm thinking I should come back to the mantra, you know, you let your observing awareness go to the thought. A bird makes a noise out the window, you know, the refrigerator comes on, you let the sounds be objects of your meditation. Mm-hmm. Your, your back starts to hurt, or your um, heart starts to race. Uh, you, you let those physical sensations become objects of meditation. You have a memory of like when you were a little boy or a little girl and, and uh, your friend uh, turned on you and you still feel the pain of that and somehow that comes up. You let those feelings or those memories become the objects of meditation. So that's much more mindfulness. And um, uh, the people who like to make lists uh, you know, and, and divide things up, they talk about the concentration practices on the one side, the mindfulness practices on, on the other side. But the two are like two horses that are drawing a carriage, you know. So we, we use both of them in, uh, in, in most Buddhist practices, Buddhist meditation practices. And then um, once you get used to treating your uh, experience in this way, then the next stages of practice are called the insight uh, uh, stages. Uh, Now, insight means that you're starting to examine uh, uh, what we call the self. You you know, like, what is the self? Who, but that's too abstract. So it's really like, who am I? You know, and who do I think I am? And how do I know who I am? So this is all, This people get very uh, uh, confused about this. I certainly was never sure about who I was. Uh, and you're like, where am I? You know, and you, <laughs> like, you look like more of a person than I feel like I am, you know, so I want to be like you, but I, how can I, you know, so the, the Buddhist insight practices are like, oh, yeah, everybody feels this way. So why don't you just like relax and pay attention to how you really do know yourself you know what do you when do you feel like yourself and what is that feeling like you know and can you make that the object of meditation Mm -hmm. so and sometimes they talk about that's like a dog chasing its own tail you you know because you like what you think you found the self but then you can't find the self and so you're you, you know and you get a little dizzy uh, chasing your own self, chasing your own tail. And uh, the, the Buddhist teachers like that dizziness because that, that when you get a little dizzy and you're not quite sure who you are anymore, then there's, a, a, uh, there's some openings that can happen. There's actually a, a set, some kind of freedom from the known self or from the demands of the ego. Uh, and so things start to uh, unravel a little bit. So would that in some way be the dissolution of ego? Um, well, it's too easy to say that the ego dissolves because it never really dissolves, but because uh, we all need our egos and it, right. it comes right back. But it's, um, I, I see it more as uh, um, realizing the uh, uh, fragility of the ego or the transparency of the ego or the um, relativity of the ego. Like, like the ego isn't everything. Mm-hmm. And we don't have to only be our egos. Mm-hmm. And so the, the ego has a, a function, you know, like when we have to make lists or, or when we uh, uh, have to make dinner 
or get the kids up and out or ourselves up and out or be here at the right time. That's all ego function, mm-hmm. you, you know, but do we only have to be like, oh God, what's the next thing that I'm going to do? And, and you know, no, we don't only have to be that. So the ego has its place, but we can learn to put it down. And that's a lot what we're doing in these practices is we're, we're seeing the ego rise up like it wants to make the lists, you know, and then we're like, okay, I already made that list. Mm-hmm. So let's like put the ego back down. It can, it can take a rest, you know, mm-hmm. and that, you know, I wrote this book uh, going to pieces without falling apart. And, and that's sort of like letting the ego take a rest. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't have to be integrated all the time. That doesn't mean that we are disintegrated, but we can be right. un, unintegrated. Uh-huh. So what does it mean to be unintegrated, you know? Um, and what, I have a couple more questions. Um, I actually have a lot more questions, but only a couple more we're going to cover today. What would What is the Buddhist view on loss? You talk about this a little bit at the end of the book. Yeah. Well, is there a Buddhist view uh, uh, on loss? I, I, probably not. It probably depends on which which Buddhist you're talking to. Mm-hmm. Um, I I had a beautiful beautiful teaching about that when uh, I was in my twenties and traveling in Asia with uh, uh, Jack Cornfield, who's another uh, mindfulness of uh, a Pasana teacher of mine. I, I went with him and some other friends to. Uh, the Thai monastery on the Lao border where Jack had been a monk for two years to meet with his teacher, who was a Thai forest meditation master named Ajahn Chah. And um, uh, he welcomed us in and gave us lunch. And then we sat and, and had a like Q&A with him. And we manufactured some kind of question to ask him that I can't remember anymore. But he um, the the answer he gave was about I think to me anyway, was about loss. And his answer was something like this. He picked up the drinking glass that was next to him. And he said, uh, do do you see this glass? I love this glass. It holds my water admirably. When the sun shines on it, it reflects the light beautifully, makes beautiful patterns. Uh, um, When I uh, uh, click on it, it makes a beautiful sound. It has a beautiful ring. But when... uh, the wind blows and the glass falls off the shelf and breaks, or when my elbow hits it and it falls and breaks, I say to myself, of course. But because for me, he said, this glass is already broken. But when I know that the glass is already broken, he continued, every minute with it is precious. Mm, Wow. So it's that last part, like the the glass is already broken. That's, you know, okay, Buddhism, suffering, like, you know, everything's impermanent, don't get attached. Um, he wasn't saying that, you, you know, every minute with it is precious. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. so I think being a, knowing that loss is inevitable, we are all gonna, you know, if you fall in love, one of you is destined to lose the other, you know, like the old age, illness and death, separation and loss. It's like, that's a reality Mm -hmm. for all of us. Mm -hmm. Now with COVID, we're experiencing it as, you know, in in one moment, everyone together, but that's not usually how it is. Right. Um, But uh, so in my book, 
I tell a couple of stories of patients who uh, have lost the people that they're close to uh, and uh, feeling that the Buddhist view should be, oh, I shouldn't be suffering. I shouldn't be grieving, you know, or, or I'm not grieving right. Cause it's not, I'm not doing it in the five stages of Elizabeth Kubler Ross and whatnot. But um, uh, I think the trick is to let yourself grieve the way you grieve, which you can't know until you're grieving mm -hmm. until you've really lost someone. And then it's a, it's a, it's a surprise. It's not a formula and we can use what we've learned from meditation and therapy from mindfulness, you know, making room for everything to not have an agenda for grief and to uh, appreciate that grief is the other side of love. Uh, and uh, that um, uh, uh, every minute, even every minute of grief is precious. Mm -hmm. And it's almost like a contemplative practice. I mean, I feel like in some ways I do this every day as I think about, okay, if these these people inside the four walls of this house, if something were to happen with to them and others as well, but mainly, you know, those that I feel like I love the deepest. Um, <clears throat> am I, am I good with how I conducted myself today? Am I good with what I said and how I was with them? And sometimes the answer is no. Um, but and then it's like, okay, well, what can I do to fix that? Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. But I, I think often people don't love as completely as they're capable because they're scared of loss, mm -hmm. they're scared of death. Mm -hmm. Freud wrote a beautiful little paper uh, called On Transience that's about three pages long where he, he writes about taking a hike uh, in the Swiss Alps in the summer with a poet friend who's said to be Rilke. He doesn't name him as Rilke. But the, uh, the poet friend isn't able to open to the beauty around him because he knows that it's all transient. So he's like melancholy, well, you know, on the hike. And Freud ends the paper by saying, it is a flower that blooms for a single night any less beautiful. Mm -hmm. you know, which is sort of like Ajahn Chah with the, you know, every minute with it is precious. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. So I think people who are scared about death uh, and who are seeing loss around every corner, it tends to tighten them up. Mm -hmm. And so, and so then they're like, they're um, uh, hypervigilant and overprotective of the, those that they love. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's a kind of interfering love, you know, that, that Winnicott would talk about as, mm -hmm. you know, not quite optimal because then the, the object of the love has to like guard against that interference. Right. And so it creates division. 
you know. So, okay, so you were friendly acquaintances with Ram Das. Mm-hmm. I just interviewed Ramesh. Oh. And so these are going to back up together, these podcasts. But one of your patients also was, um, I guess, worked closely with Ram Das and yeah, knew him for a, for a long time. Yeah. And he brought to you this concept of, well, I don't, he told you that Ram Das shared this with him. Love your thoughts and see yourself as a soul. And this is also in the book, um, being Ram Das. In the end of his life, you went to visit him and you really beautifully illustrated this notion of seeing souls and then like quickly being back in ego. Can you talk to us about what that's like? Because it was really human. And I, and I appreciated that about his book uh, and how human he was, even though he was on this spiritual path and how human you are in your books. Um, sure, I'd be happy. I'd be happy to try. Um, you, you know, I knew Ramdas when I was uh, twenty years old. I first met him, so I think to him I was always about twenty years old, even though. And then I would see him every decade or two. So we had a nice connection. He had many, many friends who he was much closer to than he was to me. But we had a nice connection in it, and it lasted for um, you know uh, almost fifty years. Um, so. And the thing about Ramdas, when when uh, he was in his prime, he was like a stand-up comic. You know, you know he was so funny, uh, and he could we he could tell these stories and uh, uh, bring spiritual principles alive by uh, using his humor. Uh, but there was always a little bit of the performer in him, you know, so that who he was who he was in his uh, Richard Alpert, which was his given name, mm-hmm. in his Richard Alpert self, and then who he was in his Ramdas self, were, they weren't quite aligned, you know? Um, but um, uh, he had a stroke uh, 20, 25 years before he died that took his voice away. Uh, he had an aphasia, so he couldn't find the words that he could still think fine, but uh, so he lost his golden tongue and uh, and he was partially paralyzed. So, and he was in pain, a lot of pain. Um, but somehow in the, the next decades, he became, he narrowed that division between the Richard Alpert self and the Ramdas self so that he actually became the person that he was always pretending to be, uh, you know? So he never complained. And uh, even though he was really physically suffering and he continued to just put out a beautiful uh, vibration, uh, you know, to a a lot of love to all the people who were around him and people were really drawn to him because of that. Um, And he helped, you know, he was like a therapist, spiritual therapist to so many people. But so anyway, I went to see him the the, the year or two before he died because Jack Hornfield, who I mentioned, said to me, you better go because he really has become, uh, you know, his his energy is really important to be around. And I was kind of tentative. Would he remember me and whatnot? But I went and stayed in his guest room. And um, uh, um, every Monday, the people around Ramdas would take him swimming in the ocean in Hawaii uh, off a particular beach in Maui. And they would uh, put him in like a wheelbarrow because he was partially paralyzed and uh, put uh, flotation devices on him and wheel him uh, into the ocean. And in the ocean, 
his body was, you know, was buoyant. He could float. He was uh, like totally happy. And all these people, you know, Maui, retired Maui people, retired LSG people, Maui hippies, you know, like 20 people or so would come and, and uh, all of a sudden swim with, with, with Ramdas in the water. He did this every week. Uh, so I went once uh, during my visit and uh, I was in the water with him. And it was before COVID, before this idea of creating pods, you know, was part of the vernacular. Ramdas paddles over to me and whispers to me, we're like a pod of souls, mm. you know, and, uh, uh, and, and, and we were like whales, you know, like, and then everyone, everyone starts um, chanting together or it's actually singing nursery rhymes where row, row, row your boat gently down the stream and we're all we're all um, floating in the water together. And then Ramdas paddles over to me again and points out this one guy over there. And he, he whispers to me, that guy's a, a retired dentist. <laughs> and, you know, like he's like the joke of like, you know, he's a dentist. Mm -hmm. He had a great sense of humor, Ramdas. And um, I, I tried to write the, uh, this in the book in, in as uh, moving a way as it felt to me because it was really a sense of like the, you know, the oceanic feeling and this pod of souls, like all singing these nursery rhymes in the water, the sun and the ocean and, you know, really all. And one, the playfulness, you know, like the, the childhood, like the humor, joy yeah. that just yes. is, is when you look at kids, it's like so soulful. Yes. And Ramdas so happy, you know, cause he, cause you're aware of him suffering, but he was just beaming, beaming, beaming. So, uh, so that all happened. And then finally everyone go, gets back on land and uh, Ramdas says he's taking everybody out to lunch, uh, which is at a Thai restaurant in a strip mall. And <laughs> uh, uh, so there's 20 people, you know, uh, sitting at this, at this table and, and suddenly everyone's back in their egos, back in their bodies, back in their egos. And the waitress comes and, and uh, she's getting the iced tea orders and everyone, some people want, uh, you know, iced, iced tea with no milk and no, some people want it with no sugar and some people Splenda. And one person wants everyone to turn their cell phones off because of the uh, electromagnetic uh, radiation. And, uh, and I'm getting judgmental about everybody. You know, so this, <laughs> this like transcendent experience is now reduced to uh, like a regular, regular old uh, lunchtime thing. But but Ramdas was he was sitting across from me and he was just like the same, you know, just like happily eating his food and he looked up at me once to let me know that everything was okay, you know, mm -hmm. that that real life and the ocean didn't have to be two separate things, mm -hmm. you know. So how do we get to that place? I think I would have been right with you at the table. <laughs> Thoughts. <laughs> well, even being in that place was in that place, you know, mm -hmm. like that's that that was really the, the like you can't stop your mind. You can't stop your ego, but you don't have to buy into it totally. Mm -hmm. that, that's that's, I think, the best that we can do. Mm -hmm. And when and that makes a huge difference. Yeah. Yeah. Well, can I ask you a couple? I do this little fun speed round thing at the end. Can I ask sure. you some fun speed round questions? You can try. Okay. Um, spirituality means uh, um, uh, that you're not who you think you are. What is something most people don't know about you? I, I like sports. What is one thing you are really looking forward to right now? Uh, the Super Bowl. 
even with those two teams playing in it, huh? Come on. I know. What a, what a uh, series we've had. These playoffs have been unbelievable. What is one thing you are deeply grateful for right now? Uh, my wife. What book is on your nightstand right now? Uh, the the, uh, uh, the thousand-page uh, biography of Sylvia Plath. By, what is he- by, by Heather Clark. Hmm. What is your favorite spiritual or healing practice? <laughs> uh, Iyengar yoga. And what is the most transformative experience of your life? Uh, falling in love. Well, Mark, thank you so much for your time today. I have more questions, but I don't want to take up more than invite me back. I would, I would love to have you back. Okay. Um, the Zen of therapy is out now. It is beautiful. It is. I mean, I can't say enough good things about it. I, as everybody knows who listens to the podcast, I try to get through every single book. I read this cover to cover. You can see my notes um, as proof, and it was just really a great read was also just in the New York Times, I believe, right? Just last week. Um, Two great reviews as well. So thank you so much, Mark. Where can people find you if they're interested in learning more about your work? Do you have, do you have openings right now? Um, <laughs> the therapy? I have a web. They, they can find my website, um, which is markepsteinmd.com, I think. And I, and I have a Facebook page um, that usually lists all the... Um, uh, you know, talks or, or whatever, if I'm doing anything. So those, those are really the best ways. Isn't that the million dollar question right now? Don't you feel like that's the question that everybody's what, what, asking? What's do you the have, question? Do you have openings? Oh, no, everyone is not asking that question. A trickle of people. I feel like I'm getting a lot question. of, do you have openings? Can you refer me to people for openings? Yeah. Who, yeah. who can I? Yeah, no, it's hard for me to take on any new people right now because I, I feel, you know, responsible to the people that I'm that I'm still working with. But well, thank you so much for your time today, and um, I would love to have you back if you Great. would come. Okay, well, it's so nice to meet you. And, you and too. I, re- I really appreciate that you read the book and and thought about the questions and everything. Okay. All right. Well, thank you so much. Yeah, have a nice wonderful you. day. You too. You too. Okay. Good. Bye. 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 Like what you heard today and want to hear more? Wondering what comes next and what it all means? Head over to Apple Podcast, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, or anywhere you get your podcasts and hit subscribe. Also, if you could take a minute to rate and review my podcast, I would really appreciate it. Stay tuned as we continue to explore life, death, and the space between. up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week Kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi now that's music to my mouth hello fresh let's get this dinner party started discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Boland Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Boland Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.